Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that time of worship through music. Good to see all of you this morning. I ask you to turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24, as I speak this morning on this subject, living in His presence and our glorious future. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through uh, 24. Now, as you're turning there, let me just say a word about these boxes. Brother Bobby mentioned these a moment ago. Uh, Operation Christmas Child is a great ministry. Uh, these gifts will be sent to children in parts of the world who probably have never received a gift at all. We have, let's see, last Wednesday night, we packed 1,500 boxes in less than an hour. And there's other boxes that have been brought in by, uh, by other um, uh, families in the church also. And so um, I want to encourage you to uh, do that. If you've not done that yet, you can pick up an empty box and you can fill that and bring it back. But here's what we want you to do. This afternoon, if you could be here around 1.30 to help load these up, get them to Shiloh, as Brother Bobby mentioned a moment ago, that would be great uh, to do that. But I want us to pray right now and pray for the children that's going to receive these boxes. There's a large portion of these children who receive one of these boxes that come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so what will happen is every child that receives one of these boxes will hear the gospel. And those that respond to the gospel are also discipled. There's a, a process they put them through to begin the discipleship process in their life. And so there's a great opportunity uh, by sending these boxes out uh, that there could be many that enter into the kingdom of heaven because of that. And so I want us to pray right now, asking the Lord to bless this ministry. And each of these boxes would find its way to a child that will hear the good news and will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So would you join me and let's ask the Lord to bless that and then also our time as we study the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is impossible for us to just know the magnitude of how you can use each of these boxes in the lives of a child and how that if that child comes to Christ, what an impact that child could have and sharing the gospel with others. We just don't know how the kingdom could grow, to what extent the kingdom could grow because of this ministry. And I ask you, Lord, to allow each of these boxes to get safely to a child, and I pray for those children, Lord, that you're already preparing each one of them to be receptive to the message of the gospel. I pray that they see this gift box as a tangible expression of our love for them, most of all, your love for them. And may they recognize how much you love them, Lord, when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray you're preparing their hearts now, removing uh, obstacles to hearing, removing deceptive works of the enemy, that they might be able to understand with clarity the gospel of Jesus, repent and receive Christ, and be born again. And so I ask you, Lord God, to do that work in their lives. And I thank you for each person that's been a part of putting these boxes together, buying items to go in it. Each person that's involved in the process of shipping these boxes over, I just pray, Lord God, you will oversee it all, and may you be glorified through it. Lord, I pray now that you will give to me clarity of mind and clarity of speech as I preach the Word of God, because I can't do this without you. I ask you to clothe me with Holy Spirit ability and power, enabling me, Lord, to communicate the Word of God. I pray you'll fill this room with your presence Get hold of our hearts. Give us the ability to listen and understand and hear and apply what you have for us today. Lord, use this to uh, really motivate us and move us into a deeper walk with you and to um, uh, uh, an enduring faithfulness, Lord, to you. And I commit this time to you now for your glory. Let me exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. Now, we are in the thick of college football season, and now it's getting down to the time where every game is very critical as to who might be able to enter into the playoff and possibly then play for a national championship. Now, every college football player probably dreams of being able to play in and win a national championship, whatever division you might be in, that would be an ultimate goal. But the road to a championship does not begin now. It began sometime back earlier in the year, and you might even make a case, uh, even as that player being very young, 
learned football and all that, but at least we can say back in the spring when the new recruits were coming in and, and, and they were learning positions and battling and competing for positions and then throughout the summer months and the hot sweltering heat, drilling and learning and probably there were times when those players physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, maybe they wondered, is this really worth it? And then maybe they thought of, you know, this, the hopes of a possible championship, so they just begin to endure more. They pushed forward with endurance. My son-in-law is a former Marine, and he is now a U.S. Army soldier. When he was in the, went to Paris Island, he, he probably experienced um, weeks, probably the most miserable weeks of his entire life at Paris Island. Any of you uh, Marines in here want to say hurrah to that? <clears throat> Uh, certainly, it was probably a miserable experience going through that, but uh, there probably were times that, that you wanted to give up, but to hold in your hand that uh, anchor and globe that says you're a Marine uh, kept you enduring in that miserable process uh, where you were being disciplined and shaped and, and molded. Well, let me just tell you something. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not earn our salvation by works. The Word of God makes it clear that it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. If I earned my way to heaven, then when we get there, we would be the ones boasting, walking around heaven celebrating, look at what I accomplished. But the Word of God makes it clear that salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Once we are saved, though we are called to endurance, not endurance to stay saved. Salvation is by grace from beginning to end. But we're called to endure faithfully and live for the Lord Jesus Christ while we're here. And the Lord rewards that faithfulness. We're all going to face storms and trials. Matter of fact, the Lord shapes us and molds us through that. He disciplines us through that. He does all that to make us who we need to be in living for Him. And although times may be difficult, uh, the best is yet to come for the people of God. And we're looking for something that surpasses life here on this earth. We're looking for the experience of the eternal kingdom that is to come. And these Hebrew Christians that are being written to here in our study of the book of Hebrews, and for those of you who are guests today, since February we have been going through the book of Hebrews. And we've been studying this incredibly rich letter written to ethnic Jews that had come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and yet they were facing persecution. And the, the persecution they were facing was causing them to be tempted to not be so faithful to Jesus and to slip back into a life of Judaism where at least they would be accepted by their ethnic group if they did so. And there's a warning. The Holy Spirit gave them through the writer of Hebrews not to do that, but to encourage them to stay faithful, to endure, to persevere in their walk with Christ. There is a very sad passage of Scripture to me found in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is Paul's letter to Timothy, his last and final letter that he was inspired to write down. He's writing to his dear son in the faith. And he is um, about to face death from an evil Roman emperor simply because of his relationship with Jesus. He is in a dark and dreary prison. Again, he's going to die. All of his friends have abandoned him at the moment except for Luke. And he's writing and asking Timothy to come to him. So Paul knows his days are numbered, but he also has uh, this understanding that he's about to be with the Lord. So it's not Paul's situation that makes me sad. Uh, it's a situation about a man by the name of Demas in chapter 4, verse 10a of 2 Timothy. And here's what Paul said about Demas. He said, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So when the fires got hot, Demas couldn't handle the fire. And so instead of just persevering with Paul, persevering with Jesus, what he did is because of his love for the world, his love for what the world had to offer him, he forsook Paul because he loved this present world. His mind was not on the eternal kingdom of God. 
The purpose of the writer of Hebrews was to exhort Christians to keep their mind on the eternal kingdom of God, to exhort them to stay faithful. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. The writer of Hebrews gives us his purpose there. He said, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Now, let me ask you a question. There's 13 chapters here. Is that few words? <laughs> That's a typical preacher right there, isn't it? But notice what he said. He said, bear with the word of exhortation. All this rich theology, all this deep doctrine pointing to the superiority, the supremacy of Christ, all of that is meant to move them, to exhort them to a life of deep faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of this letter. He's calling them to action. And the Spirit of God is still using this truth today to call us to action, to move us on in our walk with God. We're all facing pressures from the world, not like many of our brothers and sisters who are in other parts of the world. They're dying because of their faith in Jesus. Can you imagine if you went home this afternoon and there could be officials show up at your house, drag you out, and say to you, you need to recant your faith in Jesus Christ because if you don't, I'm going to murder your family in front of you. Can you imagine that happening? That's happening to our brothers and sisters. Now, our opposition and our oppression is nothing like what many of them are going through right now. We are facing more opposition to the things of God than I have ever experienced in my lifetime. And some of you in this room are a little older than me, and you could say the very same thing. We've just not seen what we're seeing today, the, the kind of hostility toward the things of God that we're seeing. So it could very well be that within a few years from now, it's possible that we could be facing some of the very same things unless there's some change or God's hand just puts a stop to this. We could be experiencing some of these same types of pressures. Right now, many of us, we're just afraid to be, you know, kind of beat down by our culture. We're kind of afraid to be mocked by our peers. We don't want to be the only persons that are not doing everything else everybody else in the world's doing. So, we, you know, we're... We're not uh, fearing so much for our lives, but we're fearing rejection from the world, rejection from our culture, rejection from our friends because of our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, you think about it, that's pretty pathetic, isn't it, <laughs> compared to what everybody else is facing uh, in the culture around us. So let's take a look at these verses. And uh, there's some exhortations here, four of them to be exact, that's an encouragement meant to move us along in our walk with God. So here's what the Bible says. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the, sound, and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And here's what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. So they were told they were not to go up onto the mountain. If they did, they would die. And even if an animal got close to there, that animal was be put to death. And this commandment struck absolute terror and fear in the hearts of the people, along with all the manifestations that they saw that represented the presence of God there on Mount Sinai as Moses was receiving the law. Verse 21 says, And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. What truth. And the main idea of this message this morning is that faithful endurance in Christ results in a glorious Inheritance. The Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to draw a contrast for these early Christians. Remember, many of them were thinking about going back into Judaism 
And so he's drawing this, this compare and contrast. He's saying to them, look, you're wanting to go back to the old covenant, the Sinai covenant. It can't compare to what you have in Jesus Christ is what he's stressing to them. Verses 18 through 21, he describes the old covenant's incompleteness and lack of ability to perfect anyone. And he described these events of God giving the law to Moses on, on Mount Sinai. And he describes here a, a horrifying scene, a scene where the Israelites were uncomfortable and fearful and their separation from God was emphasized here. And these verses are summarizing what we see recorded in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And notice the compare and contrast. Verse 18 says, for you have not come. Verse 22 says, but you have come. He's saying, now you've not come to me. You've not come to God through, through Mount Sinai. You came to God through Zion, Mount Zion. That represents the kingdom of God that comes through the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 18. Verse 18 says that this mountain, you've not come to the mountain that may be touched. That, that means physically. It was a possibility to touch it, but it was not permissible to because if they were to do that, then there was going to be death, the Word of God says. Three days before God met with Moses, He said, sanctify the people. Have them wash their clothes. Married couples are not to have physical relations. They were not to get too close to the mountain. They were, they were to go to the foot, but they were not to get too close. They were definitely not to try to go up the mountain after Moses or they would die. And if an animal even came around there, that animal was to be put to death. Then there were manifestations of God's presence. It burned with fire. There was this, it signified the presence of God. There was a blackness and a darkness, a gloom that overtook them. There was a tempest, which is a storm. That storm, that lightning and thundering and all of that was representative of God's presence. There was a sound of a trumpet, and that sound of a trumpet kept on going, and it kept, it kept emphasizing again the closeness of God as He was drawing near. They could hear the word spoken, and they begged that they would not hear the word. It was terrifying to them to hear the law of God. And so they had a sense of dread that took over them. Moses was even terrified. We see this recorded in chapter 9 of, and, and verse 19 of the book of Deuteronomy. And he was the very mediator of this covenant. What was being made clear here is this. God is holy. He is holy. He is an unapproachable God because we are sinful human beings and would die in the very presence of such a holy being. God is love. The Bible describes that with clarity. And He's also righteous and holy and must do what is right, which is to punish sin. And sinful people cannot be in the presence of God. It emphasized His holiness. It emphasized how that people cannot keep the law. We cannot be saved by keeping the law because no one can do it. It's impossible for us to do it. We're born with a sin nature. We all act on it. That sin nature, the sin that we commit must be atoned for because God is just. And the law cannot be the provision to make us perfect in the sight of God and bring us to God. No one could be saved under the old covenant. That was made clear just by the receiving of the, of the law. But on the other hand, the new covenant was starkly different. The Savior, the true deliverer of sin, provided access to the very presence of God. The Lord Jesus Christ came and did what none of us could do, lived a perfect life. He being perfect from His incarnation throughout His crucifixion, uh, and, and then, of course, his glorification and his resurrection. He did what none of us could do. He lived a sinless life. And then he went to a cross and he satisfied the just wrath of God toward our sin in himself. He literally died. He was buried. And the third day, he literally rose from the dead. And every person who believes in him and turns from their sin to trust in what he did... 
His atoning sacrifice is applied to their lives. Here's what happens. We are joined to Christ. He's in us. We're in Him. There's a union with Christ, which means His death is attributed to us. And that means our sin is atoned for and wiped clean. His life on this earth of perfection is also imputed to us so that we become right in the sight of God. That's what justification is. He did that that we might live. And so this is an incredible truth. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these beleaguered Christians to stay faithful because they've received the gospel of Christ. Now, there are four things that exhort them to move on. Let me show you. These things are realities for those who've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The first thing I want you to see is that we have access to a place, the heavenly kingdom. Verse 22 and 23. We have access to a place. Now, notice with me in verse 22, first of all, the Bible says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Sinai is compared to Zion. Now, just in the physical sense, this would have been Mount Moriah where the temple stood. But Zion, and when you study the Old Testament, you begin to see that it takes on a much bigger and broader meaning than that. Spoke of all of Jerusalem. It also had eschatological emphasis, which means last things emphasis to it. It speaks of the heavenly kingdom of God. It speaks of the millennial reign of Christ. It speaks of the new heaven and new earth and the eternal rule and reign of Christ. All that is wrapped up in the term Zion. Now notice in your Bible the two words have come. That translates a verb in the Greek, the original language, that is in the perfect tense. Now the perfect tense in the Greek means a completed action in the past that keeps on having uh, results in the present. So what it meant is, he's saying to them that you've come to Mount Zion. You've come to the kingdom of God. That is, at their conversion, they entered into a relationship with the one true God. That is permanent. It's permanent. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected, what? Forever those who are being saved. Now, who are those being saved? It's those who've called on Jesus Christ by faith. They've been perfected forever, not until they apostate, not until they sin so much they lose their salvation. Not until they make a mistake and they're no longer then uh, permanently involved with God. The Word of God says He perfects forever. And it speaks of that permanence that takes place when we get saved. Now look back with me in chapter 12, verse 22 and 23a. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now here's a further description of what Mount Zion is. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. To an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly or festive gathering is what that speaks of. So he's talking about how that we have access to the kingdom of heaven. It's a place radically different than what happened on Sinai. When the law was given, there was terror and there was fear and there were manifestations of the presence of God that struck fear in the hearts of, of the people there. But when we see this description of what happens because of Jesus in our lives and we enter into the heavenly kingdom of God, it is a place of joy, a place of celebration. Now, notice the two words, general assembly, that you see there at the first part of verse 23. That was a word that was used in the Greco-Roman world to describe civic festivals, uh, athletic competitions, events of joy and excitement. Now, let me go back to my college football uh, illustration for a minute. <clears throat> Here's what football fans do. Uh, we'll go to stadiums of our favorite teams, right? Right? And so you go to your favorite team 
you know, so you get there, you got all of your regalia on, you got your, you know, whatever team you like, you got that on and everything, your, your shoes, your hats, you know, everything has whatever on it, you know, Gators, Seminoles, Bulldogs, <laughs> Bulldogs, Roll Tide, Auburn, whatever your team is, Clemson Tigers, I don't know, they were in the last service, the Clemson Tiger fans were, but anyway, you get there, you know, you're all excited about about the game and you get in and they have all their customs. Each stadium has their traditions, you know, that you do. And, you know, you've got, uh, uh, you've got uh, Osceola riding out at Dope Campbell. You've got everybody at, uh, at, um, uh, in Gainesville and Swamp that will start singing, you know, Tom Petty's <clears throat> song, Won't Back Down. And, you know, you bark like a dog if you're at the UGA and all these kind of things, all these traditions, you'll start doing your, you spelling out your word, G-E-O-R-G-I-A and all that stuff, F-L-O-R-I-D-S-T-A-T. You know how y'all do this thing. And then when you're watching this take place, you're all excited, your team wins and man, you are high-fiving people you don't even know. I mean, you're hugging somebody that looks three rows back and you never seen where you're going <laughs> One, or hugging, and this great celebration that's happening there. You just, just all this joy is taking place. So you know, I think about that, and sometimes I think, sometimes, man, we we're like idol worshippers. Sometimes it seems. Now, I'm not saying that. You know, we can have our fun and all that, but we get all worked up over that. Can you imagine what it will be like when we enter the kingdom of heaven? Amen. See, this word general assembly describes an incredibly glorious, festive celebration that's going to happen. There's angels there. There was about, you know, a handful of angels mediating the covenant to, to Moses on Sinai. There are myriads of angels. A myriad was about 10,000. So you, when you see it other places, it talks about 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands describing the massive amount of angels. It's an innumerable amount of angels that are there along with the people of God and we're celebrating the one true God. We're worshiping him. We're magnifying the lamb of God who took away our sin. The celebration is more euphoric and, and more sincere and pure and joyous than anything we could ever experience here in that incredible place, the heavenly kingdom of God, a place described as uh, the city of the living God. It's a place full of activity and adventure and things that are going on. It's a, it's a place where no one could ever get bored. Sometimes people think of heaven as one long, boring church service. Well, I love going to church. I don't know about y'all. And if you got, you know, if you if you're bored to tears when you come, then you need to need to repent. That's all I got to say to you. But anyway, <laughs> but it, it, we think of all this is going to be. We're going to float on. We've got this image in our mind of we've seen it for years. The little fat babies that float on clouds, you know, and strum hearts. That's what we get the idea of. We're thinking, man, I don't want to ride a cloud around strumming a harp. I'm telling you, heaven is filled with incredible adventure and purpose and interaction that will take place. And it is far superior than anything we could ever experience here on this earth. There's no pain there. There's no suffering there. There's no sickness there. There's no burden. There's no temptation. There's no sin. There's no evil. There's no problems. There's no worries. There's no anxieties. It's a celebration, a glorious celebration. And since we're citizens of this place, there's some things we ought to know. Kind of being a way of, of uh, applying this, not only is it to move us along to what's in store for us, but <clears throat> it, it also means something to how we live now first, we need to understand that we're citizens of that place, not here. <clears throat> now, obviously we have a, a citizenship to this country and we're residents of Florida and Washington County, Holmes County, whatever uh, surrounding counties we're all, we're all coming from. But we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that makes a difference how we live. We should be living as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Pursuing righteousness, godliness. Listen, we should be devoted to the word of God, the work of God, and the worship of God. We should be devoted to the word of God, the work of God, and the worship 
of God. If we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says we are. Secondly, we're also ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. An ambassador represents his country or her country in another country. We represent the kingdom of heaven here in this world. And what we're to do is we're to share the gospel so that those who are in the kingdom of darkness might come out of the kingdom of darkness and become a, king, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're called to do in evangelism. And that should be something that we make a priority. It should be a priority in our personal lives, in our church family. And we can get distracted, and I think we have been. And we've got to make this our, God's saving people through us. But I think we need to be much more intentional in our evangelism. We've got to recognize who we are. We're ambassadors for Christ. And we're to be focused on reaching the people of our community and beyond because we have access to this place. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It means also that we should be understanding that we're going to be in his kingdom forever. That means we should be laying up treasure there right now. As our Lord taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, by living a holy life now, by doing the work of God now, by giving of our financial resources that God has given to us for His kingdom's sake, those are ways in which we lay up treasure in heaven. Brothers and sisters, in this day of increasing pressure, I encourage us today to stay faithful because we have access to a place heavenly kingdom of God. Secondly, notice this, we have fellowship with God's people. Verse 23, the church of the firstborn, when we come to Christ, then that makes us part of the church of the firstborn. That is those who've been saved. Now the Lord Jesus himself is called the firstborn in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. But here in the original language, this word is plural in Hebrews, it speaks of the body of Christ. It speaks of the church, those who are saved. And, and we're called the firstborn. Now, that has some Old Testament imagery to it because the firstborn in the Old Testament received a larger portion of inheritance. And then those younger siblings got a lesser portion. In Christ, we're all the firstborn. We all receive portion of inheritance. And I like to say that the firstborn are actually twice born. Those who are twice born are the firstborn. And what I mean by that, we're born physically, but then we're also born spiritually. When we accept Jesus as Savior, there's a new birth that happens. We're born again, so the twice born are the firstborn. We have this inheritance in the Lord, and we are family we're the family of God, and we're going to fellowship forever. Now, those who reject Christ will not have fellowship with anyone because hell's a place of torment, a place of isolation and separation. It will be a place where people will justly uh, be punished for their sins forever because they have sinned against God, which is the ultimate act of treason and the ultimate crime, and because they've rejected the grace of God and the love of God, they will, they will pay for their sins forever in isolation. There's no fellowship in that place, but the people of God will be together, the church of the firstborn forever. Now, the Lord describes this in a way in Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. He said this, I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So from all over, they're coming together and they're gathering together for a great fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And notice that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who they were on earth. Their identity stayed intact. They're known for who they were uh, on earth now in that uh, eternal kingdom. And there's a great gathering together, a great fellowship that's being described there. And verse 12 goes on to say, but the sons of the kingdom, that 
That refers to the, the Jewish people that rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The people of God are also described here as those who are registered in heaven. That refers to the book of life. Remember, I preached a message on the book of life back in January of this year. I think it was January. It was the first of the year that I preached a message on that. Recorded in the book of life for those who've come to know Christ as their Savior. The Lord Jesus sent His disciples out to do work. And they were able to cast out demons. They were able to see the sick healed and all sorts of things happened. They came back to Him, Luke chapter 10, celebrating what they had seen take place. And the Lord said to them in verse 20 of Luke 10, He said, Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the Spirit's are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's nothing more glorious than that, than our names being written in heaven. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 says, But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. Now that refers to the eternal kingdom. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So no one enters the city of God except those written in the Lamb's book of life, registered in heaven. But also notice here in your Bible that there's another classification of people that are talked about, and that is spirits of just men made perfect. That could be uh, talking about all the redeemed, or it could be the Old Testament saints who were saved by faith based on the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they're perfected by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. People from every tribe and tongue and nation and background will gather together in the city of God, the kingdom of heaven, and we will serve the Lord and we will reign with Christ. Do you know that I, I have discovered that the people of God have a kindred spirit? You can be somewhere and you can meet someone you've never met before and you, there's just this kindred spirit. My first mission trip was over 30 years ago. And I went into Romania not long after the fall of communism there and we were uh, doing evangelism there and there was an interpreter that worked with us by the name of John. John was about my age then and just a, just a man of God, a young man who loved Jesus. He helped us Interpret, he interpreted for us so that we might get the gospel to the people we were sharing with. And I remember that automatic kindred spirit he and I had. We came from radically different backgrounds, thousands of miles apart. Didn't even speak the same language. You know, that's not our uh, original uh, language. But, but there was just something. Uh, he's my brother. And I remember over 30 years ago leaving and saying to John, uh, and I, have, I said, John, I may never see you again on earth and I haven't to my knowledge seen him since then but I said one day I'll see you at the feet of Jesus one day I will I'll see John you know my family and I've told you this before goes <clears throat> uh, some of my family anyway goes every year to Holbrook Camp Meeting in our home county in North Georgia my ancestors went there it started in 1838. My great-great-granddaddy went there, and all of his descendants have been going there. Many of his descendants have been going there ever since. And so what happens is we gather for 10 days of meetings where we're hearing preaching. It's a revival time, and there's great fellowship that occurs. And, and you know, when you're a part of that, there's just something about it. When you've had that tradition over the years and you've grown up going and you know your ancestors went and over the years, through the generations, God has been working in generation after generation. Many of us who are there are related. And, and there's just a special connection you have when you're there. And um, many times we don't see those people except during that camp meeting. So if you don't go to that camp meeting for, let's say, five years, you may not see some of those people for five years. And then when you come back and you see them, you just pick right up where you left off. So I think about that 
in terms of being with the people of God forever. The fellowship that we're going to have. I think of some of the dear saints of God that's been in this church over the 23 years that I've been pastor here that uh, served the Lord together with me and are now with the Lord. And how that there's been a separation, <clears throat> different time periods. One day, we're all going to be together. We'll pick back up to a level of fellowship like we uh, have never been able to experience. You know, sometimes we can offend each other or jump to conclusions about each other or hurt each other's feelings or whatever happens and we get, things get weird sometimes. There'll be no weirdness in that fellowship. And by the way, we ought to work on the weirdness while we're here, right? Here's an application point. The Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If our fellowship will be to the highest level possible there, while we're here, we should be working to have the highest level of fellowship earthly possible. We're part of the family of God. The third thing we see here in this text that encourages us to move on in our walk with God is that we have access to the very presence of God. So we've seen and we have access to a place, that's the eternal kingdom, and, and we have access to a people. And that is, we're a family, the church of the firstborn. But also, we have, most gloriously, access to the presence of God. Verse 23. Sinai warned to keep distance. You can't come to God or you'll die. At Zion, through Christ, we have access to God. We come to Him, who the Scripture described here as the judge of all. Now, <clears throat> he we're not going to be judged by Him because, you see, uh, in Christ, when we were joined with Christ, our sin was washed away. Hebrews 10, 17 says, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So our sins are washed away, and we are declared righteous. Romans 3, Romans 4 talks about the imputation of, of the righteousness of Christ to those who are His. So we're in Christ. We're justified before God. Now we're going to face a judgment uh, of Christ one day, remember. And He's not judging us for salvation, but He's judging us for how we've used our time, how we've used our finances, how we've used our spiritual gifts for His kingdom's sake. And some will lose reward. And some will give, get reward because... Of faithfulness, But the judging being talked about here, I believe in this context, is he's talking about judging unbelievers. The Bible describes that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And I think that probably, too, he's emphasizing that those who have fought against the people of God, who have persecuted the people of God, uh, they have refused and they have resisted and they have rejected the love and grace of God, and so they will one day experience the vengeance of God. Do you know when people persecute the church, they persecute the Lord Jesus? That's what Saul found out when he's on his way to Damascus and the Lord confronted him on that road and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So to persecute his people is to persecute him. We're the body of Christ. He's the head. <laughs> and so when the church is being persecuted, Christ is being persecuted, and those who continue that and reject and resist the grace of God are going to experience the vengeance of God, the righteous vengeance of God. But for us, we will enjoy His presence. We're going to dwell with Him, and He's going to dwell with us, the Scripture says. And nothing can compare to the joy of being in the presence of God, the peace, the joy of being in the presence of God. And finally... The last exhortation here is that we have a position provided by the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 24. We've got a place, a people. We're in the presence of God. 
It's all made possible because of the position the mediator has put us in. A position of justification, justified before God through the work of Jesus Christ. It was through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he established this new covenant. Speaks of his death and his resurrection. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 24 says, And to the blood of sprinkling. Look back over in chapter 10, verse 22, where the Word of God says that our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience. It, it means that when we come to Christ through faith and that sin is forgiven and we're made righteous and we're joined to union with Christ, then that's what's being spoken of here. It's Christ's sacrifice that made this possible. But what does it mean, this terminology, that it speaks better things than that of Abel? Abel's mentioned over in chapter 11 as one of those first examples of, of faith. So what does it mean here? Well, Abel's blood was spilled out by his jealous brother Cain because uh, Abel offered his best to God as an act of worship. Cain's offering was not received. He got jealous. He murdered his brother. His blood spilled out on the ground was a testimony of his faithfulness to God. But the Scripture says in the book of Genesis that his blood cried out to God. So his blood is crying out to God for justice to be done, vengeance to be taken, the sinner to be punished. Christ's blood spilled out, cries this out. Justice has been paid. Christ's blood cries out, the sinner can be forgiven and made right through the blood of Christ. What an incredible truth. And everyone that comes to God through Christ Jesus has been forgiven, made just. Sinai was a place of desolation. It was a wilderness. But Zion is a city alive with activity, the city of God. At Sinai, there was fear and dread, but at Zion, there was joy and celebration. At Sinai, there was separation, but at Zion, there is fellowship with God. At Sinai, there was exclusion, but at Zion, there is an invitation to come. My brothers and sisters, when we began this study, and we got into the, the, the deep passages of this book, we interpreted those warning passages to mean that you lose reward when you don't maintain a faithfulness to the Lord. And I want to tell you what some of us maybe are settling for today. We're settling for the wilderness of Zion or of Sinai. We're, we're like the children of Israel that refuse to move on into the promised land, and we're living a spiritual life of wilderness existence when we could be experiencing a spiritual life of fervency, the land of milk and honey, so to speak. The promised land type of spiritual life. That's what God desires His people to be involved in. He wants us to be faithful to Him, living in obedience to Him, being the people who are living like citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which means we need to start putting to death the sin that's keeping us from that and stop chasing after the things of this world and pursue God with a renewed fervor. That's what He wants of His people. That's what He saved us to be a part of. We're to be ambassadors for Christ. We're to be involved in sharing the gospel with others, inviting them to come into the kingdom of heaven. We're to take comfort in the future that's in store for us, even when we're facing tough times here on this earth. So, brothers and sisters, today what we need to do is begin to pursue renewed focus on the Lord. We, we may need to confess some things to Him today and change the way we're living. We need to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, for some here today, you, you don't know the Lord. You're still in that point where there is terror 
that there is separation. But if you will call on Jesus, you know, he'll save you. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9, the Word of God tells us that, that he is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What does it mean to obey him? It means we repent and we believe on him and we trust him to be our Lord and Savior. We call on him to be our Lord and Savior, and that new birth occurs when that happens. And there could be some in this room, this size, and maybe some online, and you need to call on Jesus. You might be religious. You might, you might even be a church member here, but you've never really called on Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. There's never been that change in your life. Well, that can all change today because He can change you. And if you're willing to call on Jesus to be your Savior, you want to talk to someone about that today? As we stand to sing in a moment, I'm going to stand right down front here. And would you come to me and say, I need to know more about how I can be saved, how I can know Jesus is my Savior. Maybe you need to come pray today and these altars over to the sides or just come here on this front um, uh, seats here and, and pray. Pray at your seat. But however God is speaking... Let's obey Him. Let's stay faithful. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for the encouragement of this text. It is, to me, very, very encouraging. I pray You've used it. Lord, You know how You've spoken to people. And now's the time for response. Now's the time to respond to this truth. So I pray for the Spirit of God to work among us. And I pray, Lord, for revival in the hearts of Christians. I pray for redemption to happen in the hearts of those who are unsaved. May they call upon you to save them today. Lord, strengthen us so we stay faithful to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.